Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the uh, book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 17 to 21, and then uh, chapter 15, 1 to 6. Um, Romans 14, verses uh, 17 to 21. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because everyone or anyone who serves Christ um, in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual um, edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for, for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. We who are strong ought to bear with, with all failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. And even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance uh, taught in scriptures and the encouragement um, they provide, we might have hope. Okay. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God uh, richly bless his teaching today. And uh, may he give us um, truly wisdom to, uh, to perform it. Thank you. Good morning. So what is your go-to family meal? Is it mac and cheese? Uh, you know, shepherd's pie? Some fried rice? For our family, one of our go-to meals, not because I like it, well, I, I actually do like it, is a fried up chicken wieners that are cut, cut up with some you know, uh, soy sauce, garlic, some hot, pep hot peppers, it's, it's Korean hot peppers, chili flakes, right? You stir fry that, and then you just have it with some rice. That's like our go-to meal, and our kids love it. If you know anything about chicken wieners, is that there are two types of chicken wieners, right? They're just like the normal chicken wieners that you could buy, and then when you go to the grocery store, they also have halal chicken wieners. And so for me and our family, we get the one that's the cheapest, 
right? We don't care whether they're in Salah or not, but, we, you know, whichever is on sale, we'll get that one. And we're having this conversation with some of our friends and, and or people we know, we should say, people we know, and they talked about how, you know, we were sharing about what we eat and how this is a good go-to meal and mentioned that we use halal meat once in a while. And they were like, you do? Don't you know you shouldn't be having halal meat? We're like, why? It's because, you know, halal meat is, 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 is for Muslims, right? So Christians shouldn't be eating halal meat. And so we're like, you know, it doesn't matter, really. Does it really matter? Like, it just... Chicken wieners, who cares if it's halal or not, right? Do you care when we have kosher salt or non-kosher salt? Like, does it really matter what kind of, you know, meat we eat? So, you know, we had this argument, right, with this, with this uh, acquaintance of ours. Let me ask you another question. What do you do for Christmas? How's your Christmas? Do you do Christmas Eve? Do you do Christmas Day? Do you have to see, like, different families on this day? And, you know, next year you got to see them on, on Christmas Day because, you know, with your in-laws you got to see them. Next year you got to see your, with your parents on Christmas Day, right? There's all these kind of, like, traditions, right? For our family uh, and Jin's uh, family side is Christmas Eve. That's been, like, locked in ever since I've, I was dating Jin. So, but in some sense it doesn't really work for me because for me during Christmas Eve I have church, Right? And I can't really skip out on church on Christmas Eve because, you know, um, kind of doesn't work. But so I, I can't go to the whole family and say, hey, by the way, can we switch our Christmas Eve to another day, like maybe Boxing Day? It is what it is. And so, you know, I usually miss out a little bit, but then I'll go back after our worship and, and go attend. And so it is what it is. But if we were to decide as a family to change it, right, we would have to have a whole family meeting. People have to argue for why we want to change it. And it would be impossible because we have people who fly from like all over the world to come to this Christmas Eve dinner. So it's not a simple thing. And there would be a lot of kind of arguments and possibly fights over it. Similarly, in the Church of Rome, there was this bickering and division around what people ate and what people drank and what special holidays people observed. The Roman church was made up of both non-Jewish people that we call Gentiles and Jewish people, where the majority or at least the ones who were in power were the Gentile Christians. Although we can't be sure who was part of what, it is likely that they were Jewish Christians who didn't eat certain types of foods and abstain from drinking wine, and they also observed like some of these Jewish religious festivals, whereas the Gentile Christians were not. It doesn't mean it was a Jew-Gentile issue, because there could have been Gentiles who also followed some of the Jewish customs, and, and Jews who felt like, I don't, we don't have to follow those anymore. But they were likely Jewish folks who ate and drank what they, um, I'm sorry, as Jewish and Gentile Christians, they, they were trying to live together in this new place, right? Because the, the Jewish Christians had to leave Rome because they were kicked out by the Roman emperor. And then they recently came back. And now the church is run by Gentiles. And the Jewish Christians have come back to say, like, where do we fit? How does this work? How do we figure out what we eat together? And how do we figure out how to be the church? And the way Paul categorizes these two groups of people are with the words weak and strong. But let's, let's keep the weak and strong in quotation marks, okay? Because what we're not saying is that the weak are the weaker 
folks, and the strong are the better. So it's, we're not putting value judgment on the weaker ones as we would in our society, right? Weak is not as good as strong, right? So we say weak is bad, strong is good. But Paul's not making that kind of value judgment or statement on this. And although Paul seems to have aligned himself with those who are free to eat and drink, so the ones he calls strong, it isn't to say that Paul wants the weak here to become like the strong or vice versa. It's not about that. Do you know what one of the most disappointing things in life is? Is when you see a nice, fresh, warm <clears throat> plate of cookies, and you bite into it, and then you realize there are oatmeals in it. Uh, not oatmeals. I love oatmeals. Raisins. <laughs> Some of you know I, I'm not a fan of raisins. But when you think it's, because one of my favorite cookies is an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. And when you think it's an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie and you bite into it and it's raisins, just like, come on. Like, God, what are you doing to me, right? It's, it's like the worst day of your life, right? So, and don't we do that with stuff we eat? And, you know, you could be like, how can you eat that stuff? Like, how can you eat that raisin oatmeal cookie? Like, when there's something so much better, like chocolate oatmeal co chip cookies, right? But we do that with different things, whether it's food, whether it's uh, raisins or cilantro or, or Tim Hortons coffee versus Starbucks, right? We kind of make these like judgment calls like, you know, as a Starbucks drunk drinker, I'm not like, I wouldn't judge you for drinking Tim Hortons, but at the same time, you know, I'm, and I wouldn't look down on you per se, right? But I know what real coffee is. Right? Like, what they're drinking is like, sure, you know, let them drink that, right? But, you know, if you want to be a purist, maybe even Starbucks wouldn't even be purist. So you got to, you know, make your own coffee, uh, get them, right? Like, not toasted. Roasted. Right? And you got to hand grind it with one of those grinders, right? And, like, do a pour over all this stuff, right? I tried that. It's, it's not worth it. It's too much work, right? Like, the hand grinder takes forever. Anyways. Right? But we make these kind of judgment calls, on what people eat and what people drink, and even like when you celebrate your holidays. And this is what's going on in the Church of Rome. The ones who were conservative on food and drinking practices judged those who were more liberal, and the liberal ones were looking down on those who were conservative on their food and drinking practices with contempt. That's the word Paul uses. So it is within this context Paul says this to the Roman church. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt with those who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Paul's point here is that it really doesn't matter whether or not someone eats only vegetables or another meat. Don't judge each other on the basis of what they eat or not, because God has accepted them. Because God is the one who is their Lord. Paul then goes on to explain that both sides of the party can do what they like as long as they do it for the Lord. So if you're not going to eat meat, do it for God. If you're going to eat meat, eat it for God. Right? Whether or not you meet, eat meat or don't eat meat or drink wine or don't drink wine, whether or not you like cilantro or not, raisins or not, it doesn't really matter. The point is, who are you doing it for? Is it to please yourself or are you doing it for God? 
The main point here is that Paul wants the Church of Rome to stop judging each other on these issues and to focus on what the kingdom of God is really about. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Instead of focusing on what the kingdom of God was about, they focused on the wrong things. They were having fights over food. You know, Jesus would often get criticized for food, for who he ate with. More, and more specifically, he would eat with the tax collectors and sinners. And, and the Pharisees, who really believed that who you ate food was, was so important, not just who you ate with, but also what you ate, but more importantly, who you ate with, was so important to them that they would often criticize Jesus for doing that. Obviously, this wasn't just a Pharisee issue because, you know, the Israelites, as part of their identity, have been given food laws, right? They're not supposed to eat, you know, for instance, pork and things like that, right? They had, you know, kosher uh, meals that they had to have, and that was part of who they are uh, and, and as their identity. But the Pharisees, what they did was they took it to the next level. Not only was it about ritual food, ritual laws, they wanted to make, basically the Pharisees were these elite eating clubs, right? So that only those who were in their level of status, of social status and worth, could come and eat with them. So for someone who wasn't as good enough for them to eat with them, they couldn't, they couldn't come and eat with them, right? Because And then what it did was it created this sense of like, wow, look, look at... Look at these guys. We want to be like them. We want to go to their party. We want to be invited to, to what they're doing. It was an elite eating club. So Jesus would respond to these Pharisees with similar words and phrasing as that of Paul in the Roman church. For instance, in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of a spice of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. In the case of the Pharisees, they were excluding others in the strictness of their food protocols, but in the Roman church, it was the strong strong that were excluding those who were strict in their food protocols by eating too freely. During the Church of Rome, what was going on was there was a thing called the agape mia, or what other people would call love feasts. And so as they gathered, they would have the they would have the Lord's table, so they would have communion together, but they would also just celebrate and have a meal together, like a, like a potluck. But during the potluck, and the Gentiles, remember, were the majority, they would have a lot of food that were, you know, maybe non-kosher and wine and all that kind of stuff. And the weak, which were not the majority, were seeing all these Gentiles or, or people who were strong just freely eating whatever they wanted, right? And, and so then you could see how the Jewish Christians would you know, be judging them, like, how can they do that? How can they eat these meat that possibly could have been sacrificed to idols, is not kosher, blah, uh, blah, blah. And then, 
And then from the other side, the, the strong are saying, ah, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. We could do whatever we want. We're, we're also the majority. So, you know, whatever we do kind of goes, right? So we're just going to kind of eat whatever we want. Just as the Pharisees who were in power were excluding the tax collectors and, and the sinners, who we would call the weak, here in the Roman church, the people with power and influence who had been the weak in the eyes of the Pharisees were causing their weaker bro- brothers and sisters to stumble by like flaunting their freeness to eat and drink. The word strong in Greek is uh, dynatos, which can be translated as strong, but it comes from that, that's where we get the word dynamite. Right, so it has that word, uh, it could be also trans- translated as power or influence. So the people in Rome that were strong were people of power and influence that said, well, we're in power, we're the majority, we're going to eat whatever we want. And the weak, who are not of power and possibly of lower social status, although that's not uh, for sure, are left to, you know, fend for themselves almost. It's, it's a, it was a way to kind of exclude them. Interestingly, the people who used to be oppressed are the ones that are in power. And when they're in power, they tend to oppress those who are not in power. I mentioned before that Paul really doesn't care about what you eat or drink as long as you do it for God. And though Paul seems to also be of the opinion that we can eat and drink whatever we want, Paul gives priority to the weaker brother and sister than the strong. Verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. So, yeah, you could eat whatever you want. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. I don't know about you, but when I read that part, that really annoys me. Like I, I'm, I feel like saying, no, why? I don't care, right? Like, why should I not be free to eat, you know, halal chicken wieners just because these people are so closed-minded and uptight? I'm not going to change my behavior for people that I don't even hang out with, right? Why can't I drink a glass of wine with my dinner because some, someone else, you know, some other Christians believe that's wrong? Or why can't I dance to music because in some church circles, dancing leads to babies, and that's wrong, right? In certain contexts or circumstances, right? <laughs> Within a marriage, uh, we all believe that babies are... I'm just going to... Yeah, you know what. But you get, you get my point, right? But for Paul, his freedom to eat any kind of food isn't as important as his actions that could harm his fellow brother or sister. It is better not to eat meat in this case because in the household of God... It is not the strong that gets their way. It's not the powerful who rules with might as the Roman Empire would, but rather just as Jesus did, who didn't live for himself or for his own interests, as we, his children of God, are also to live for the other. This is the challenging message of Jesus. It is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It isn't to love ourselves first and then tolerate our neighbors, We're supposed to love God and love our neighbors, and in this case, our brothers and sisters, um, even more than ourselves. Isn't that what love is? 
to care for the other, to want the best for the other. You know, again, this concept for me is even harder to follow, or I don't, like my, everything in my body says I don't want to do it. Because another reason for it is because, as some of you know, I'm a pastor. And as a pastor, there are a lot of expectations people have on you of what a pastor should be. So, you know, I get comments about my hair, you know, what I, what I wear to my beard or not. I shouldn't have a beard. Not at this church. It doesn't really happen, but it's happened in the past. But even about how I should pray or if I should be speaking in tongues or what, should, what I should believe or maybe I shouldn't even eat halal meat, right? Like there are all these expectations that people have from what they think a pastor should be and it gets thrusted upon me. So... It really depends. There are times where I will push back. And I think when I do push back, it's because, you know what? Their understanding of what a pastor is, not only is not, I don't like it, and I'm not going to follow it, but more than that, it, could, it, has, it creates a, a greater harm for, for the community, right? If that's their view of what a pastor is for the church, it's not a healthy view, and so then I would push back on that. But if it's someone that, you know, I'm never going to see again, I'm just talking to them once in a while, whatever, right? Like, I'm just like, sure, you know, I'm not going to engage, right? I just, I'll just eat that, right? You know, and not let it uh, bother me and just let them think what it, whatever they want to think. You know, I was thinking about another example of, of, of this is when you invite someone to your house, when you invite someone over as a guest, would you cater that meal towards that person's you know, food, aversions, and allergies. Right, you would, right? You would ask them, oh, are you allergic to anything? Or do you have any aversions, right? And you would try to cater that meal towards that guest you're having over to your house. And, you know, I don't know if you ever do this, but with certain Christians, you have to see whether or not they, they drink, right? So at the meal, you kind of like, you know, uh, do you want something to drink with your meal, right? And, and if they're like, you know, you kind of have to like, what's the word? In Korean, it's called nunchi. It's, um, what's the word for that? You just need to have like that ability to assess, right? And see if they're okay with that. And then kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, I think they're okay. Like, yeah, let's, let's bring out the beer or whatever, right? So, so we do that for, for our guests, right? We wouldn't put up a fight just because, and you wouldn't drink wine if you knew, or alcohol if you knew that, that Christian, you know, they, they don't drink wine, so it may make them uncomfortable. You don't want to do that when they're a guest at your home. So you would just do that. You would forgo, right, your liberty to drink for your guest. So in the same way, I would argue, but even more than that, we're called to treat one another with that kind of welcome and hospitality. How do we accept our sister or brother who may have different views on politics, what they eat or how they dress, or how, how, how can we be people who care more about justice, peace, and righteousness, and, and welcome those who are different than us as our guests or as our siblings in this case? So though Paul shows preferential treatment to the weak, it doesn't mean that the weak can also do whatever they want. They also are to treat the strong with humility and to not judge a brother or sister who are free to eat what they want. And I think the term mutual edification is a key term here. We, under the new household of God, are to care for one another as Jesus cares for us. 
Jesus is our Lord and Lord, not Caesar. He is the one that gives us this new home and a new family. And in that family, our meals are shared. Our meals can be different and diverse because what matters is peace and shalom of all who are part of this new household of God. And how do we go about creating this kind of culture? How do we create, create this ethos and home, home life that can be of peace and justice? It's when those who are in power, those who have influence, use that power and influence to show care for the weak. It is when those in power and influence serve others, it is when the first become last, it's when the ones who says, I can eat whatever I want, but I will not for the sake of the other. It is when the strong humble themselves. It is the way of the cross and of Jesus who also humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples. We at Spring Garden have been going through this series called When in Rome, you know, Making Home in the Empire. Do you know where that term, when in Rome, do what the Romans do come from? So there's a guy named Augustine. Some of you may have known him uh, or known of him, St. Augustine. <laughs> anyway, so Augustine uh, is going with his, uh, his mom, Monica. They're going to uh, Rome to go and meet with some of the church members there. And, and he's uh, from Milan and, no, yeah, and he's from Milan. And in Milan, they observed fasting on Saturdays. But in Rome, they did it on Sundays. And so he had a question, and so he asked this question to St. Uh, Ambrose for advice. And this is what St. Ambrose said. And he's thinking about what's going on and what he does himself. He says, with things that are non-essential matters, he said, when I'm here in Milan... I do not fast on Saturday. So it's the other way, uh, other way around. I do not fast on Saturday. When in Rome, I do fast on Saturday. So this reply from St. Ambrose started this phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Meaning if you're going to that home, to that guest house, you'll follow their customs and their practices as long as it's non-essential, right? It's fine. We're to be people who care more about the other person than of our own needs or desires or wants, especially when it comes to non-essential matters. And Paul says the same thing in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Stop fighting over disputable matters and set focus on what the kingdom of God is about. And it's about peace, justice, Righteousness, which just means right living and love. Don't get caught up over whether or not eating raisins are bad, even though they can be pretty awful, in my opinion. But focus on your neighbor. Care for them. Encourage one another to live in peace. I mean, when I go over to someone's house and they don't know that I don't like raisins and they make me a raisin cookie, guess what? I'll just eat it, right? Like, I don't care that much. Yeah, sure, I don't like it. I don't prefer it, but I'm not going to like make a stink over it, right? So if you want to ever test how much I care about you, <laughs> right? Don't make me raisin, don't make me raisin cookies and I'll, I'll eat it. Right? <laughs> but don't, don't test me on that. <laughs> you can, you can. I'll eat it. 
Because what matters more than me liking or disliking raisins is the fact that they did it out of love, right? And, and I care about their intention behind that, so I'm going to eat it, right? It's not a big deal. The church, though, ever since the beginning, have fought over many matters, right? Some disputable and some, I think, are worth of consideration. Whether it's the color of the church carpet to having, some, having drums in worship to that of this one little F word. This one little F word in Greek, uh, not Greek, in Latin is phileoque, which just means and from the sun. That one phrase split the church. A thousand years ago, from the east and the west, it split the church, which seems silly now, but back then, it felt like it was very important. Or baptizing infants or not, the list can go on. The church has fought over so many things, some silly and some that seemed important. And again, I don't want to belittle some of these bigger issues of theology, because theology does seem to have an impact on how we can live or how we do live. But at the same time, I think the question we need to ask is whether or not Jesus cared more about us having right theology, that is, right understanding of God, more than having right relationships. I would argue that Jesus cared more about his followers being united than being right on some of these issues. He even would pray one of his last prayers to God. He would say, God, may they be one as I am one, as we are one. That's what God, Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed for unity over right theology. So I, I think this is important for us to consider is, you know, sometimes we talk about keeping the peace, right? So I don't know if you ever do this in your family where if there is an issue, you know, for sure, that is, is contentious, right? Like, you know. So we could all talk about it now because it's over, right? Kind of, right? But it's like the COVID thing, right? I don't know if any of your family members were anti-vaxxers or those who, you know, believed in it or maskers or non-maskers, right? I don't know if that happened in your family. It happened in mine where you, you could have some, you know, cordial conversations about it, but it, it would get pretty heated. And it would get to a point where you're just like, you know what? There's, there's no point of having this conversation because it would break our relationship, so for the sake of our relationship, we just don't talk about it, right? And that could feel a little off, right? It feels like, you know what, just for the sake of peace, we don't talk about it, so then we're not going to deal with some of these issues. So, you know, whether or not it's something like that, but something more serious, right? We're not going to talk about these issues because we don't want to break peace. It just feels a little off, right? Like, we should talk about it. These things are important. And I would agree, some of these issues are important. We need to talk about it. But what if we re rethink it a little bit to say keeping the peace is more important than talking about it? Keeping the peace. So keeping the peace than you being right about a certain uh, you know, topic is more important because Jesus said it was more important. Jesus cared about us keeping the peace more than being right about certain issues and concepts. It's, it isn't a way to just, you know, uh, not deal with issues. It's actually the reason that we talk about issues. We will talk about it, and I think it's important for us to talk about it, but keeping the peace is the point. So if that's the point, then sometimes maybe we won't discuss it because we've kind of landed on our views. We're not going to change our minds. But yet, 
we're family, right? So we're going to still see each other. We're still going to love each other. We're still going to be there for one another. So in the same way, we as a church family, very uh, wide in our views, a lot of different issues, right? But those issues aren't the reason that we should break peace, right? Peace should be kept, and then we can have a healthy conversation about those things. About a month ago, a visitor came to our church, and this couple, you know, they were very intentional, which I appreciated. They came and said, oh, you know, I, we read about your values online and wondered if you had a statement of faith. And I, so, I told him, him and her that our statement of faith is basically the Apostles' Creed and our values. That's it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we were hoping that you had something more, like in depth of, you know, maybe what, where we stand on certain issues. And what, what I told him is because this is what we did as, as a um, leadership team of elders, deacons, and pastors, when we met to revise the statement of faith, what we felt God was saying to us was that we wanted to be a people who aligned ourselves with what, was, uh, what we believe in, what we are for, then against what we are against, right? And so we said the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has been around you know, for a very long time, maybe around 300 AD, even before, and is something that I would say the majority of the churches agree on. So we really like the idea of aligning ourselves to something that's been around for, you know, a very long time. And also that we could align ourselves with, with, with the, the body of Christ, the larger body of Christ. The only issue with that is that the nice Apostles' Creed isn't... Um, accepted by the Eastern Orthodox Church, so which, which, which saddens me. I wish that was something that we all agreed on. But the Nicene Creed is actually the one that both sides agree on, the, the Eastern and, and the, so the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and us would agree with that. So that's, but then in terms of, okay, now I'm just talking. For some of you who like this kind of stuff, it might be good. But the context, the content of both the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed all of the churches would agree on. Okay, so, so there you go. So um, with that, I wanted to say, here are some of our values that I wanted to share with you because these are part of who we want to be together, what we value. The first one is that we believe in a humble God who came not to be served, but to serve. Therefore, we engage in sacrificial and active service to those around us. We start to be good stewards of God's gifts and talents by serving one another in humility. We aspire to regard others as higher than ourselves, which liberates us to creativity, to creatively take risks in serving others for God's glory. And then the second one that's also um, related to what we've been talking about today is we believe in a God of grace who came to save the world, not to condemn it. Therefore, as we are continuously receiving the gift of God's grace, we seek to grow in that grace and extend it to others. We strive, to be defined, we strive to define ourselves by what we are for, not what we are against. So what are we for? You know, we are for peace, unity, justice, righteousness, to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our enemies. These are the things we are for. All the other things in, in that Jesus is Lord, right? We, those are some of our like foundational beliefs. Other things, some you could argue are disputable and not, but again, even those issues, 
they're not as more important as us being united and having peace with one another. What we, what we do want to be known for, again, again, is not what we're against. We want to be known for what we believe. As Jesus said, you know, if you love one another, then the world will know you are, we are his disciples. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, and that's what we want to be. We want to be known as the, as the people of God who focuses on what we are for, that is justice, peace. I've said this again. We want to be known as the children of God because through our actions, through our desire to love and serve one another, we will reflect the attitude and heart of Jesus who came to serve. Let's pray. I want to read us a passage from Philippians as part of our prayer. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we worship you and praise you because you're a God who loves, you're a God who humbled himself, died on the cross for our sins, that you're a God who serves. So we ask for that same mindset and attitude that we could love and care for the interests of others more than ourselves. Teach us, Lord, of the freedom that comes from being able to let go even of our own desires. And teach us humility and submission that we could submit to one another, but to you as our Lord, and through that, that we be free to serve others and free to care and love. Jesus, we pray that the enemy would not get in the way as we, as a community, have to figure out a lot of different things of, uh, and issues and, and, and uh, topics that are divisive, that we would first recognize that we are a family and that us being united and having peace is more important than being right on these matters. So we offer those to you and uh, we are thankful and uh, yeah, we ask for just that ability um, to care for the other. And we lift it all up to you in Jesus. Amen.